Welcome to The End Game, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Auction. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Stella Foss. Stella Foss is actually a pen name for a woman with a somewhat unusual encore career. She writes erotic fiction about romantic heroines in midlife and beyond. Her first career was in biotechnology, which seems quite a distance from her current pursuit. Stella, thank you for being here today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So is it my imagination or is writing erotic fiction really that big a leap from biotechnology? Well, it's all about biology, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. We're all animals. (laughs) I I think uh, for me, um, because I was a technical writer, the the leap was from writing very dry proposals to the Food and Drug Administration to to writing exactly what I felt like writing. So it was a fun leap. Now, you had also um, started out your college career uh, not pursuing biotechnology, as I understand it. That's true. Mm-hmm. I was an English major as an undergrad and did a lot of did a lot of creative writing at that point. And then I got a an MBA at Columbia and was in finance for a number of years. And while I was in finance, I read about the IPO for Genentech and thought that sounds like a lot of fun using cells as mini factories. So I decided to veer off in that direction. And I have to say biotechnology was a lot more fun than finance, but not nearly as fun as writing what I feel like writing, which is what I do now. Well, so how did you find your way into erotic fiction? Uh, Probably 10 years ago, I read an article in the New York Times book review section by a romance author who was then in her 50s and she advised her sister writers to write about characters in their 20s if they wanted to be published as romance authors and i thought well that's pretty crummy it reminded me of when the bronte sisters originally published their works under male pen names so that they could get published i didn't see any reason why women of a certain age should have to be closeted to be published. And around that time, a friend of mine started a reading series uh, in Oakland. I was living in California then called Dirty Old Women and invited her friends to come and read erotic, their erotic stories before an audience. And I thought, okay, I've always wanted to write fiction let's give this a try. And it was terrific fun. We had huge crowd. The place was packed every month when we had this reading. A lot of the people in the audience were young women who really appreciated hearing that erotic life doesn't stop at 40, which is the message a lot of them were hearing in the culture. So I think of it as a public service. So this was like in a coffee house or something like that? 
It was in a bookstore that also was a kind of salon that had events almost every night. Unfortunately, it went the way of so many businesses in the pandemic, but it was a great venue at the time. Okay, so then you're a member of this this collective who are reading their works. What what happens next? We decided to start a writing group for those of us who had been readers at Dirty Old Women and other other friends of ours too. That was called Elderotica, and we got together once mm. a month and uh, took turns setting prompts, setting up prompts for writing. We would do a short write, say a 10 minute write on a short subject, read to each other. And as in all these settings where you get together and write from prompts, it's so fun to hear how varied people's answers are. You can give 10 people the same writing prompt and get completely different answers from everybody. So that was a lot of fun. And then we would have a snack, talk, and then do some do some longer writing for the rest of the evening. So that was huge fun. And then I went to a, uh, a retreat I used to go to once a year when I lived in California. It was run by uh, a friend who was an artist and a writer. And she would get together a bunch of her friends at a building that, that used to be a novitiate. It was a, a place mm. for young nuns to, 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 to live when they were training to be full-fledged nuns, but is no longer in use for that. It's now a retreat center. And uh, I happened to sit next to a person who worked at North Atlantic Books in Berkeley. And I didn't know who she was. I just mentioned I was thinking of putting together a book based on this whole experience of the Dirty Old Women readings and and the Elderotica writing group. And she said, we want your book. So that's how Aphrodite's Pen was launched, which is okay. a, book, a book for women uh, past a certain, women of a certain age who would like to to write erotica. It has examples from the women in that group. It has interviews with women who write erotica and it has lots and lots of ideas and prompts and uh, information about craft. So a, a woman buying that book can basically learn to write erotically and also learn how to set up a group of women to get together and and have the kind of fun we had in Eldorotica. Has reception to that been fairly positive? Yeah, people love that book. The full name of it is Aphrodite's Pen, The Power of Writing Erotica After Midlife. And we had a book launch um, at Good Vibrations in Berkeley just before the pandemic hit. We barely made it. and had a big crowd of appreciative folks and the the reviews of the book have been very positive gotten a lot of great feedback on it so now you've gone from being just an author to uh, someone who gives advice to people who want to be authors you're you've become a uh, uh, a muse i guess is that comfortable well 
I, I don't know if I'm a muse exactly, but I did. Um, there was a point in my biotech career when I decided to to take a step back and um, give back to the community, and I became an English English and biology teacher for a while. So having that credential and having that experience of teaching has enabled me now at this phase in life to circle back and, and do some teaching with folks who are older and interested in becoming writers or exploring writing. So um, I recently taught a class called V and Me Could Write a Bad Romance um, for an organization called Secure Senior Connections. And that, that was terrifically fun. We had writers from all over the country, over 65, who are interested in learning to write what is now called seasoned romance. Because far from the experience or advice of that the woman who wrote that article for the New York Times Book Review way back when, publishers have caught on to the fact that there are an awful lot of boomers out there who probably aren't that interested in reading about the erotic lives of 20-somethings and would like to know more about stories and adventures of people our own age. So um, given that romance sells so well and that there are lots and lots of folks out there interested in writing romance, um, one of my next books is going to be a book based on that curriculum where I explain how to go about writing a seasoned romance. So you've got your own uh, subcategory of the romance genre? Well, I didn't invent it. Publishers did, but I'm very appreciative that they've come around to this idea that not all romance stories need to be about somebody who's 22. They actually call anything, any story where the main characters are over 40, they call seasoned romance. To me, that's maybe lightly seasoned romance, but seasoned, <laughs> only seasoned romance, in my view, should involve characters over 60, but that's just me. So are you doing other teaching as well? Is this uh, something that is going to continue? Yeah. Yeah. I've also taught a class called Writing Boldly, which is all about accessing your um, unconscious uh, mind in writing and getting past your inner critic. So that one, that one's just wrapping up. That's a final session for that one will be this Friday. I've also taught a brief workshop on creative editing, um, spurred on by the fact that I personally hate editing and had to find creative ways to do it to make it palatable. Um, so yes, I'm very interested in continuing to teach. So, so far these courses have been through secure senior connections, but I'm planning to offer them in the coming year through, um, my website and my mailing list so that folks who aren't in that organization can, can benefit. So yes, it's definitely part of my plan is to keep, keep teaching, keep helping folks to discover their creativity, um, in their 60s and beyond. And keep writing, I assume? Yes. I am just finishing the first draft 
of a book that's going to be called something like Juicy Living After 60. A friend of mine and I, who my friend's a psychologist, um, and she and I have been uh, writing uh, chapters on different topics, everything from uh, finances to sexuality to appreciating our bodies to um, creativity, lots and lots of different topics that are relevant to creative living after 60. So that one, I'm hoping we can give to a publisher in the new year. And today is the first day of National Novel Writing Month, which goes every year from the first to the end of November. And if you're, if you sign up for NaNoWriMo, as it's called, you pledge to write 50,000 words in a month. So that starts today. And I am writing a novel, which I plan to call Vampires of a Certain Age, which is going to be a <laughs> vampire romance novel. And part of the impetus for that is so that I will have examples to draw from, from my own work when I write my book, put together my book on how to write romance. So yeah, I, I seem to be quite busy with this writing and teaching business. Just for the record, uh, how old do you have to be to be a seasoned vampire? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a whole subject. Now, now um, I interviewed a woman for my blog who wrote a book called Forever 40, no, Forever 51. Forever 51 is about a woman who is in the throes of menopause when she's turned into a vampire. And so she has hot flashes for eternity. So uh, to be a seasoned vampire, that's a, that's a really good question. Let's say that you became a vampire when you were 23, but that was 400 years ago. So how old are you? Are you the age you were when you turned or are you 400? So yeah, I, some of these questions about vampires are, are baffling. And of course, as a biologist, I find the whole subject of how vampire biology works to be um, a conundrum. I mean, for example, how could you have a fully functioning immune system when you're dead? These are questions I will have to ponder this month as I write the first draft of this novel. <laughs> all right. Well, good luck reconciling all of that. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I, I, you, you once said that one of your earlier novels called Brilliant, Charming Bastard, and I think we're all jealous that we didn't come up with that title, uh, was <laughs> written as a romance, and then you you found out that it really wasn't a romance. So can you explain what, what that's about? Yeah. So uh, Brilliant, Charming Bastard, I, I love that title personally, but it does get in the way sometimes. For example, Amazon uh, will not allow advertising of a book with the word bastard in its title. And that's interesting because they publish hundreds, literally hundreds of books they've published with the word bastard in the title, but they won't allow it in their ads. So go figure. Um, so 
I had a rather vague idea of what a romance was until I taught this class. Um, they say that teaching a subject is the best way to learn about it. And uh, it certainly is true in my case, because when I taught about writing romance, I found out a lot more about the genre expectations. It's not just that the story has to have a happy ending with the main characters in a, in a committed relationship. A romance has to have a certain structure and it also, the plot of the story has to be driven by the relationship itself. So if you write a novel that has romantic elements, but the main plot is external to the relationship, it's not truly a romance. So now I know. So now I, now my vampires are going to have to have a really complicated relationship situation so that that's the plot. <laughs> and what was the plot of Brilliant Charming Bastard? Ah, so in Brilliant Charming Bastard, three women scientists, drawing on my biotech background, of course, three women scientists in their 60s um, have met, have all met the same man online and they're all dating this man without knowing about each other, but they find out about each other and they realize that this fellow who is also a scientist has been stealing their ideas for his invention. So instead of being envious of one another or angry at one another, what these three women do is to get together, set up their own startup biotech company and beat him at his own game. So that's the, that's the premise of the story. It was tremendously okay. fun to write and people seem to get a kick out of the story which is fabulous. But you can't call it a romance. No, even though all three of the women scientists do find much more, um, much healthier relationships in the course of the story, the story is really driven by the, um, the, the decisions they make around their business and their, the scientific aspects of it. It's, it's, it's an external plot primarily. So, so sadly, no, not a romance, but still a lot of fun. Has being an author of erotic fiction been an issue in your personal life? That's why I have a pen name because I was concerned <laughs> about my children. <laughs> right. You know, I read this quote a while back. Uh, you know, Gloria Vanderbilt wrote an erotic novel when she was in her 80s. And her son, Anderson Cooper, is that his name? Her son said, the most horrible sentence you can ever hear from your mother is, I'm writing an erotic novel. So <laughs> I thought that, that writing under my own name would not be a good idea, considering that I have four kids grown-up kids so um but it turned out that my daughters in particular see this whole endeavor as empowering women and so they're not put off by it in fact one of my daughters who is a 
professional graphic designer, designed the cover for Brilliant Charming Bastard. Mm. So, nice. It's all turned out a lot better than I expected. And bring, bring them into the family business. Mm. Exactly. Well, I agree with your daughters, Stella. You're an amazing role model. Uh, not that everyone needs to write erotico, but I think you're a, a wonderful example of holding fast to your old dreams from long ago and making them happen at any age. Thank so thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you very much for having It's been great talking. Uh, it's been fun for me. <laughs> and you can learn more about Stella Foss's work and her story at the website StellaFoss.com. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The Endgame, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The Endgame.